Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Congress came to town this week in the form of a House Judiciary Committee field hearing at Yuma City Hall. Democratic committee members say their GOP colleagues didn't give them enough notice to attend, but that didn't keep Southern Yuma County's representative from visiting the area on the same day. Today, we talked to Raul Grijalva about the hearing, the situation on the border, and the timing of his visit. Plus, we get an inside look at the Regional Center for Border Health's Immigrant Transfer Center. Then, newly seated chairman of the Yuma County Board of Supervisors, Martin Porches, gives us his take on the border from a county perspective. But first, our conversation with the congressman. On Thursday, 15 Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee came to Yuma to hold a field hearing on the Department of Homeland Security's handling of the surge in undocumented immigrant crossings. You can find coverage of that part of the story on our website, but today we're focusing on a different perspective. One Congressman Raul Grijalva says wasn't heard from nor addressed during that hearing. Grijalva specifically came to Yuma on the same day of the hearing to make sure those voices were heard and those perspectives were shared. And he started his day with a conversation with the field. You're here on kind of an auspicious day for the city of Yuma. This afternoon, the House Judiciary Committee will hold a hearing on border security at Yuma City Hall. You're here today, but you're headed to the South County. Well, it, it's the area that's in the district. That and uh, parts of Yuma, uh, A Avenue, and and, and some, some of that section of, of Yuma that is part of the district. The The rest of the city is in Paul Gosar's uh, district. And so we visit San Luis, Somerton, Welton, uh, the tribes, that are that are within my district and and this planned visit has been something that for this uh, work period when we're not at the, in Washington uh, is what I do we go to Douglas we go to Bisbee we go to Tolleson we go to all the communities that are not Tucson uh, and visit and talk to the people there and we were going to go visit the regional health center Amanda Aguirre's program who has been doing phenomenal cutting-edge work in terms of the humanitarian crisis dealing with asylum and refugee seekers, but generally through this whole COVID nightmare that we experiences and still to some extent experience as we speak, uh, that, that, that particular health center was amazing. I know you're not on the Judiciary Committee, but there's not a, no, not a Democrat. The Democrats say they had other scheduling well, I, commitments. I, I, I think that, that, that it's pretty transparent what's going on. Uh, we, we were in visiting uh, Douglas and the port of entry there and meeting with the mayor of Douglas the day that uh, Speaker McCarthy and the four Republican freshmen uh, parachuted into uh, a part of Cochise County uh, to talk about the same thing, border security. Never once did they speak to people on the ground. Never once did they go and talk to Amanda Aguirre and the Regional Health Center, no, nor did they speak to the mayor and elected officials of the communities that are right on the border, nor did they uh, go and see how nonprofits, faith organizations, Salvation Army are dealing with the humanitarian crisis that they're confronting. And where is it concentrated? It's concentrated in South County. It's not concentrated in downtown Yuma. 
although the mayor of Ewan wants to pretend that, the, that, that this is the crisis of all time in his city, the reality is that that mayor in San Luis, that mayor in council, that mayor in council in Somerton and other communities are the ones that are having to uh, be the first responders. I noticed the witness list includes Sheriff Leon Wilmot, uh, Yuma County Vice Chair of the Supervisors, Jonathan Lines, and Robert Trenchell of the CEO and president of the hospital. Yes. There is no South County representation no, before and, and, this. And they w won't be because uh, if as if you talk to the people that are on the borderlands, you know, w why not bring uh, the agricultural interest to testify as to workforce demands and how critical that workforce is uh, to the agricultural economy of, of Yuma County as a whole. Uh, let's talk about the impact of the drought and what it's having on the economy and what the pressure it's putting on migration and people coming to the border. Uh, and if we're going to talk about security, let's start with the most obvious place, the port of entry. When you have 80% of the confiscated and intercepted fentanyl, let's, opioid uh, trying to come across, that happens at the port of entry. And, and what we're saying, you need to invest in this part, both for the economic health of the region, commerce and trade and visitation, but also, also for the topic of this, of their so-called hearing, security. Uh, uh, what we need right now is, is, is a common ground. And, and, and I've, come, I've come some distance in my position. I haven't changed what I aspire which is comprehensive immigration reform, which is badly needed in this broken system. But I'm willing to say, let's talk about solutions. If you want to talk about security, define it. I define it, and many of us define it, as ports of entry is the primary source, fully staffing up customs as the inspection interception point, dealing with the visa workload, uh, visa work permit backlog, family unification backlog, the, ties up our system, fully staffing so that we can do credible reviews of people seeking asylum and see if there is a case there or not. Those are things that begin to take the pressure off, making sure that organizations like Regional Health Center and other people working with the refugees and asylum seekers that are left in South County uh, by Border Patrol, that they are reimbursed fully by FEMA for the cost incurred by local communities and local organizations. Those are solutions that we can talk about. But you're not going to hear any of that. You're going to hear uh, further demonization of the border. Uh, outlaw country uh, has to be sealed and uh, damn the torpedoes, damn the economy, damn a way of life, damn a whole region because we're trying to score political points. This is performance theater at its highest end. And the Democrats and the judiciary that didn't didn't come said so they said we don't want to be part we don't want to be props for Tim Jordan and his crew and we don't want to be uh, part of of the circus the dependency on the workforce here how complex it is uh, and, and requires solutions it requires serious people to sit down and say how are we going to work this out I'm not going to get what I want a hundred percent I know that but incrementally I think we can start to work at some solutions. Congressman Raul Grijalva, thank you so much for your time today.
Thanks for staying with the field. I'm Lisa Sturgis. During the month of December, Yuma Sector Border Patrol agents encountered more than 30,000 undocumented immigrants. That's about a third of the city of Yuma's permanent population. And it passed through the area in just one month. In fact, almost as many people as live in Yuma year-round crossed the border seeking asylum in 2022. But where did all those immigrants go? And how did they get there? The Regional Center for Border Health demonstrated the answers to both of those questions during the following tour. Join us as we follow RCBH community liaison Alex Bajarano through the process. One final note, our tour began on a bus loaded with immigrants but we were asked not to speak to them out of respect for their privacy. These ones are all going, all these migrants are going to a church in Phoenix, and that church will help us. This is all in anticipation of the Super Bowl in Phoenix. The airport has asked us to limit the amount of migrants that we're sending them because of, you know, obviously it's going to be super busy. So all of these folks are going to a church that's going to help us, and uh, after this bus is out, we'll receive another one with just about 24 people on there, and those people will trickle into the airport. We'll all confirm their travel here and then we'll send them to the airport. You said it was slow today, but but on the average, say since the start of the year, how many immigrants and how many buses are you sending a day? Uh, about two to three to average right now. During the high season, we were seeing about uh, nine or 10. And so that's about 500, 550 people, about 55 people average per bus. So it must be much more manageable now as opposed to before the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Our team, we have a great team, and they're equipped to uh, book travel for all those nine buses. Um, it, it is easier on us when we can, when we have a little support in Phoenix and we can send them to a church, um, but that's not always the case. So usually we prefer to send them to the airport with all their travel plans confirmed. The immigrants on this bus have already been interviewed and cleared for travel. Bejarano walks us through the process they followed when they arrived earlier this morning. So usually what happens here, the buses come in, we have food set up for them here, water obviously. Um, we, they, as soon as they're getting off the bus, our staff has already told them what's going to happen. And then we bring them over uh, to this area here. They're taken, I'll walk you through just so you can see all of the station. After they get off the bus, they come here. This is our team that's doing the intake. We basically fill out a demographic for our end because they uh, technically become our patients. And then we screen them for COVID. They're sent to that station over there to wait. And then after they get their 15-minute result, they're given a couple of options. They, if they're going to book their own travel or their family's going to book their travel for them, they come over here. There's a charging station for them right there. We have Wi-Fi, and they can connect to their Wi-Fi. They use WhatsApp usually to connect with their families. And if they need a little bit more assistance, uh, they can go to that white tent over there. And we've got kind of a call center travel agency set up there. I'll show you it in a bit. And then uh, our staff is there. We have 10 computers that can help them book their, book their travel. This is very systematic and... It's a very efficient process and everybody that's come to visit us, that's what they tell us. Everybody that's seen kind of pop-up shelters along the border, we're not a shelter. We, we tell people we're kind of a transition center and uh, we, uh, we want to be as efficient as possible. One bus, we can 
much we can uh, we time ourselves in one bus we can the, the objective is to get these people to their final destination and so uh, we time ourselves we, we don't we want them here very little time and one bus we can 55 people we get out in one hour with all their travel plans confirmed and every person is given a travel card and I'll show you it in a bit and that travel card has their name the number of people in the family their final destination the confirmation number the flight number the terminal number if they're checked in any special needs on the reverse side is a map of the airport and the terminals three and four it shows what airlines are to which terminal and uh, every before they need that to get on our bus here once they're on our bus we have two staff members that are writing it down onto a spreadsheet and at the end of every day that spreadsheet is sent to the airport with all of the confirmation numbers so that there's no doubt whether or not these people have their travel plans confirmed. If they lose their paperwork, they lose their tickets, they can't print them at the airport, all of that is there. The airport staff is there to back, back it up. So what I'm seeing here speaks to me of pretty much a well-oiled machine. We, <laughs> thank you. We are at this point. And it, and it didn't take us very long. Um, my president and CEO, Ms. Amanda Aguirre, she used to run uh, some of the largest outdoor uh, clinics in Los Angeles for WIC. And so she would see 3,000 patients a day sometimes. And so she's an expert at these, this kind of thing. And all of the logistics she set up, everything she, this is all her doing. And uh, I, I wish I could take credit for it, but she, um, ha I've certainly learned a lot from her, and and this is a this is a super great process because of her experience in running uh, clinics like this. Once they arrive at RCBH, a small army of workers is waiting to greet them. Jesus Chavez helps steer the process as a lead. And you've been on the ground two years. Yes. What's it been like? Uh, it's been really rewarding uh, seeing um, all these people seeking help and we're here to help them assist them with, uh, with the travels, reunite families. So it's, uh, to me it's been really, uh, really rewarding job. So you're, but you're on the ground. Yes. And you are dealing one-on-one -on -one with these immigrants. Correct. I mean, what kind of stories are you hearing? <laughs> uh, we get a lot of stories, different stories from uh, people, what they've gone through in their countries uh, on the way here. So it's more, uh, that's why I feel it's really rewarding. It makes me feel uh, more appreciative of what I have here because um, we hear their stories of what they're going through and what they have to go through to get here. Has it been hard? Uh, no, not, I mean, well, hard. I mean, when, like, when the volume was so, when there were just so many people and so many people in need, that must have been just a little bit stressful for me. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 sometimes it gets stressful with the, uh, when we're getting the nine or ten buses, but, uh, I mean, like I said, it's all, to me, I feel like it's, it's, it's rewarding, so it's not, it's not uh, emotionally hard on me or stressful. So, like, at the end of the day, you feel like you've really... At the, at the end of the day, yeah, I feel like, like I, I have accomplished something. <laughs> Humberto Munoz is another lead. He shared more about the public health component of the process. You are the COVID-19 team lead, so yeah. you're in charge of making sure everybody's screened. People younger than, than five, they don't get tested. But all people older than five, they get tested. We make sure that everybody gets tested, they get their results, and they get their tickets so they can get on the bus. And what if somebody comes up positive? Uh, for the positive, we got a process. We, we had a hotel here. Uh, it's pay for the company. We take them over there, we take them food, and we go test them every day until they get negative. And as soon as they got the negative result, we take them back over here. Same process. We, we tell them to get the flights, and they have to show us the ticket. We make sure the ticket is good, and they can go on the bus to the airport or bus.
No immigrant leaves RCBH without a way to reach their final destination. But how do they go from the Sonoran Desert to a nonstop flight? The answer when our tour of its transportation hub continues. This is The Field from KAWC. We'll be right back. Funding for The Field comes from listeners just like you who support KAWC News. It's individual and community support that makes civil conversations, local analysis, and trusted news on this podcast possible. That's why we're counting on your charitable gift right now. It takes all of us to ensure the things we care about continue to thrive. So please take just a moment to donate to KAWC so we have the solid resources needed to keep this podcast going. Visit kawc.org donate to give today. And thanks. You're listening to The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Today we're learning more about how asylum seekers make the trip from Border Patrol custody to reunion with family and friends elsewhere in the U.S. It turns out the Regional Center for Border Health has that part of the process covered as well. Here's more from RCBH community liaison Alex Bejarano. Uh, so these folks here are getting assistance in booking their flights. And uh, I'll show you some of the travel cards right now. Airlines, flight number, record number, uh, confirmation number. We check them in so that way they don't get bumped from their flights. No special need. Back of the card is the terminal and the airlines, and then uh, we print his boarding pass for him. All of the flights we, we have to book after 6 p.m., um, and we do that because, of course, it takes about three and a half hours for the bus to get from here to Phoenix. Uh, to Phoenix, And after that, we want to give the migrant enough time to get to their gate, get settled, get something to eat. Um, we give them uh, food here while they're here, but um, I mean, they've got a long wait at the airport. So uh, we are our team, you know, processes, I mean, triages everybody. And we um, identify those that have no, you know, no money if they if, usually they have enough money to eat and stuff like that. If they don't, then we send them with food and, and water to for their weight. Speaking of money, where is all the funding for this coming from? the Regional Center for Border Health. So we are advancing the cost of this operation and uh, we are getting reimbursed through FEMA and uh, with Maricopa County as our fiscal agency. Big investment. It is, uh, but if we weren't doing this work, if we weren't assisting the Border Patrol, then these people would be released in the streets of Yuma. And as you know, and we all know that Yuma does not have the infrastructure to support the releases of, you know, of, of this of any scale, especially large numbers. Yuma doesn't have a major airport. We don't have a Greyhound station. We don't have uh, a shelter. Our 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 homeless shelter is, you know, super busy as it is, and and we just uh, so we we are doing this in a it's a human humanitarian effort, but uh, also uh, protecting our community from COVID and from other, uh, you know, other situations that would arise if we would have this, these people released on the streets. Is this just a situation where you guys saw a need? This really isn't your, you know, it's not your primary mission, although your primary mission is protecting public health, training people to protect public health the need was there and you stepped up and filled it? Absolutely. Ms. Aguirre, our, our CEO, has uh, always uh, 
done what's best for our communities, I think, and we have uh, great partners in the Border Patrol and uh, through the office of Senator Mark Kelly. We were able to uh, establish this process about two years ago, and uh, the first group that we um, received wa was in the a parking lot in Yuma, and then that's when we, we realized that this was a problem that was, well, it was a problem that was going to be here for a while, so we moved our operations here. Well, we talked, the first bus pulls out. Beharano is quickly texting his contacts in Phoenix to let them know it's on its way. When a bus leaves, they send me this text, and it's a group text amongst ourselves here. Uh, first bus left at 9.40, Juan Padilla, 57 passengers to Mount Olive Church. No positives, one pregnant. The airport always likes to know if they're pregnant. The language is spoken, and then it's Spanish, Georgian, Chinese, Portuguese, and Hindi. So those are the languages on board today on the first like bus. Like Georgian as in like... The like, country of Georgia. Like, yeah. yeah. And so um, after that I, I send that, I send that message to the airport. And so this is our group chat with the airport. And these are the people. So it's uh, Ms. Aguirre, her assistant, Sky Harbor. All of these are managers at the airport. And uh, they all do what they got to do with that information. When the bus is about 10 minutes out from the airport, the bus calls the airport, says I'm 10 minutes out. The airport then activates their team, sends it to greet the bus, and then uh, they help the people to their gates. But RCBH doesn't want anyone to travel on an empty stomach. They get an apple, a cheese sandwich, and a bottle of water before boarding the bus. We also speak to a worker who smiles as he stocks the snack table. They're just with us for a little bit, so we just give them something, to, a little snack to hold them over till they get to where they're going. Does this work make you happy? Yeah. Well, it, it kind of makes me happy or, I don't know, I, I come from migrant parents, you know, but i never seen something this much, you know. Living here on the border, I lived most of the border here in my life, all my life. Our thanks to Alex Bejarano and the entire Regional Center for Border Health team for allowing us access to their facilities. RCBH operates out of Yuma, South County. It's an area that's gained increasing attention with the increase in illegal border crossings. It's also home to the man who now chairs the Yuma County Board of Supervisors. KAWC's Victor Calderon sat down with Martin Porches for his take on the border, some of the press surrounding the situation, and his recent visit to Washington to discuss border issues. Uh, we've been hearing that the numbers are going down in terms of the migrants, the numbers of migrants coming to the border, and Title 42 is still out there currently, um, set to end in, I think, May at this time. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, you definitely, at, I, I, uh, I know that the numbers have gone down. Uh, and, and, and I think it's because, obviously, on, with Title 42, President Biden added the other countries, Cuba, Brazil, and Colombia. So um, once... Title 42 expires, uh, which Title 42 was was basically placed because of, uh, I think, uh, the COVID or emergency deal. I think it has to do something with that. Uh, but what I'm hearing is that they'll go back to Title 8, which is if you come in, if they come in illegally, then they 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 lose. Um, they they they're sent back 
and they can't come in or apply for for the next five years, or or some you know it, it's 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 a it's longer to, for them to to try to come in even if they're seeking asylum. As you said, you were just in Washington D.C. with Supervisor Reyes, Tony Reyes, and uh, you met with Senator Sinema and others. Did you talk about things like like water, the border? Uh, what else did you discuss? We, we yeah, the, we you know we talked about the border, and obviously, Sinema uh, um, has a a she started that that uh, with a group of senators, uh, eight from different different states. And uh, they're gonna uh, tackle immigration and, and 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 also securing the border. So hopefully that we can get bipartisan support on that, and 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 and, and it comes to fruition. One thing that we've noticed is uh, your colleague, like Supervisor Jonathan Lyons, and and also Yuma County Sheriff Leon Wilmot, they were just on Fox News, and they've been in other news outlets where they say. You know, the border is still in crisis. It's the Biden administration's fault. Do you hear that? I mean, do you have a dialogue with, with, with uh, Sheriff Wilmot, with Jonathan Lyons, when they say things like that? My, my, my stand on that is that we, we really, I mean, obviously there is, there's, you know, people coming across, which is uh, maybe that can be called a crisis as they're coming in, the, the amount of, of them coming in. But that Yuma County has a crisis? I don't think so. We don't see him being released on the streets. So it's 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 not a crisis that is affecting Yuma County, um, uh, in 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 that sense. Regional Center for Border Health. I was just out there, and I know that they are working as much as they can to help the migrants. And I don't know if you've had a chance to go out with them or or talk to Fernie Quiroz about. The work he's doing with the um, Arizona California Humanitarian Coalition. Oh, you know that I I, I talk to uh, Fernie, you know, quite often, and and obviously, well, he you know he, he's doing a great job. So that organization does help, you know, help them, help the asylum seekers, you know, there. But Amanda has done a tremendous job. I think uh, if 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 it wasn't for her, uh, we probably would see people. Or, or asylum seekers on on the street, but she she's been doing a tremendous job, and I think uh, that that really helped uh, our county. All right, Yuma County Supervisor Chair Martin Portas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. When he's not focused on county government, Porches is an agriculture researcher with the University of Arizona's Ag Extension Program. Next week on The Field, we're checking in with a key member of the new administration. Arizona Attorney General Chris Mays brings us up to speed on her first months in office and the issues topping her priority list. Plus, Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher gives us insight into what state lawmakers are up to at the Capitol. We hope you'll join us.
The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennigan, performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I sure do hope to see you back here next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.